Welcome to The Conscious Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Alex Raymond. This is the only podcast that is 100% dedicated to the well-being of entrepreneurs. Now, I know that being an entrepreneur is a long journey and it can be really tough. So on this show, we won't be sharing generic hero stories or talking about mythical unicorns. Instead, we'll get straight to the heart of what matters most, giving you tools and resources to grow, thrive, and succeed as an entrepreneur. Every week, I'll be speaking with incredible founders, CEOs, coaches, and authors to help you be more resilient and inspired as you build the business of your dreams. You've probably heard of the zone of genius, and you know the concepts of wanting to spend more time there and less time in your zone of excellence or your zone of competence or your zone of incompetence. You've probably also heard of the upper limit problem and how that could be holding you back from your ultimate success. Today, I have the extraordinary privilege of speaking with Gay Hendricks. He is the person who coined the term zone of genius. He wrote the book, The Big Leap, that this all comes from, and really is someone who has tremendous amounts of knowledge and wisdom to share on how we can do the inner work to affect external success in our lives. And this is a really special conversation because it's also a preview of an in-person event that I'm hosting in Boulder on November 8th, and that's going to be a half-day Zone of Genius workshop with Gay Hendricks. So in today's episode, you're going to hear us go deep into these topics. And remember, that's just a preview of the in-person event in November. So I hope you enjoy this episode of The Conscious Entrepreneur with Gay Hendricks. Great. Hey, Gay Hendricks, it's a pleasure to have you at The Conscious Entrepreneur. Thanks for joining. Well, thank you, Alex. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here talking with you. One of the things that as entrepreneurs we are constantly doing, and I know this from the summit, I know this from my work as a mentor to a lot of uh, other entrepreneurs, uh, and just generally in the community, is we're trying to figure out how best to use our time and energy. And one of the tools that has come up and that has been very useful to me personally is your tool of Zone of Genius. And and I'll share, as we're starting here today, I'll share, Gay, that uh, when I first heard of Zone of Genius, I was like, yeah, yeah, I got it. You know, check. Okay. Spend my time at the, the things I'm good at. You know, seems simple enough. And then I read The Big Leap. And then I listened to the audio version of The Big Leap, and then I discussed it with friends, and I read it again, and I realized that there's a lot more to it than the surface. And uh, so I've noticed with a lot of people, we sort of generally understand the concepts. Uh, But going deeper here, you know, as you've worked with thousands of entrepreneurs uh, over the course of, of your career, what are the areas that people don't get right away? as it relates to Zone of Genius? Or what are those immediate sort of like speed bumps that they're hitting when they try to implement this in their life? Well, one thing is that from the get-go in life, most of us aren't encouraged to look within in a benign, loving way. And unless you can do that, you're handicapped in a way because if you look inside in a critical way, the very things you're looking for elude you. And so the only thing we can do really as we progress in life is to get a more benign, open-hearted way of exploring ourselves. Because one of the big problems that people have with adopting the um, the genius material and understanding the um, the upper limit problem, which I'll uh, I'll talk about a little more later, one of the big problems is just not realizing they're in the middle of an upper limit problem when they are. An upper limit problem is caused by limiting beliefs in ourselves. And one of the most common one is that I have an old unconscious belief that I'm not worthwhile, that because of things that happened to me in my life, I don't deserve the good things of life. And so that's one big one that people run into right away is that limiting belief. I'll tell you, too, I guess now we've worked with um, about 1,200 CEOs or CEO equivalents, may not be called that in the company. But um, 
one of the things that even people that are operating at the very highest level is that would fit into the um, category of a lack of emotional intelligence. Because what will often happen is somebody will have a big breakthrough at work and then will go home and have a big fight with their family that night. Or the other way around, sometimes things can be going really, really well in a relationship and then you do something at work that messes up. And so it's all based on what I call an allergy to feeling good, that we develop an allergic response to feeling good. And then when we start to feel better and better, we need to punish ourselves in some way to bring ourselves back down to our to conform to our old expectations of ourselves. And when I first started, Alex, I was so blessed to be working with some of the most brilliant executives, but I was always astounded at how clueless they were in certain areas, and uh, the emotional area being one big one. Um, but uh, that a lot of times, too, one of the biggest problems that brilliant entrepreneurs hit, I've seen this so many times, is they start succeeding at one thing really well, and then they think, oh, well, if I can do that, I can also launch this other thing. And, you know, I've even done that in my own business. Um, some of you know that um, Stephen Simon and I founded the Spiritual Cinema Circle back in the early days of the century, back in uh, 2003, 2004. And we were we wanted to find an alternative to Hollywood. Stephen was a big Hollywood producer, and he broke away because he got tired of being asked to produce big comic book kind of movies and that kind of thing. He wanted to produce what he calls spiritual cinema. And so we founded a business together, an entrepreneurial enterprise. I staked it out with my own hundred grand or so. And um, within three months, we were so popular that we ended up having three Wall Street firms call us to ask if we wanted to <laughs> have some input from them. We did end up having uh, uh, selling a fourth of the country to <laughs> the company to a uh, um, entrepreneurial uh, Wall Street guy. So um, but what we did was we got good at disseminating DVDs around the world with spiritual cinemas that we bought from film festivals. And then one day, Stephen, who'd been a producer half his life, came running and said, hey, I got the rights to Conversations with God. Let's produce the feature film of that. And everybody, you know, the bright, shiny object, everybody jumped up and down and got on that bandwagon. And it ended up to be a colossal flop and nearly bankrupted the business. So be careful for the bright, shiny object that takes you away from the central mission. Yeah. And, and so, so is that an example of an upper limit where I'm doing something well and then my tendency is to pile more stuff onto it or take on a new risk or take on a new project? Well, I consider it one of my business career's biggest upper limits. Even though we recovered from it, I eventually turned my $100,000 investment into a $10.7 million um, win. It uh, still could have been so much bigger than that if we hadn't done that stupid thing in the middle. <laughs> you know, it's like if, if you woke up one day and said, OK, my mission today is I'm going to finish chapter one of my book. And then at noon, a friend came over with their Harley Davidson and said, hey, jump on the back. Let's go for a ride to the biker bar and we'll just have one. You know, and uh, <laughs> so there goes your day. I, I speak from inexperience there. I've never ridden a Harley and um, tend not to go to biker bars, but uh, that's my head picture of uh, how that works sometimes. Yeah. Well, the, the tension, the tension of, hey, I'm succeeding well here. What can I find to screw up in my life is real. Uh, <laughs> it's and- <laughs> real. It's based on fear, too. It's based on fear that I can't have the thing that I want. And so when we start, you know, like Sophocles said, when we're scared, everything rustles. In other words, when you're scared, you look out there and everything looks scary. Uh, I uh, had a recent experience of that. I broke my leg back a few months ago. And for a month or so, as I was learning to walk upright again after 
three weeks, I guess, on my back. Um, I looked everywhere for potential things I might fall over. <laughs> and uh, everywhere you look, you see things you can fall over if you're afraid of falling. Uh, so what happens is things start going better, and then it awakens those old fears, like the fear that I'm not good enough, the fear that I'm not worthy. Another big fear, Alex, that people, entrepreneurs have is an old fear that they shouldn't have the spotlight. They should let other people have the spotlight. And they've often been maybe the number two in the family with a golden boy or golden girl, and they weren't it. And so they don't think they have access to the light, to the spotlight, to the good things of life. And so that's another one that I run across on a lot of executives is they still keep themselves a little tucked in and don't go all the way with their genius. Uh, and, and another one, which I know is in your book, uh, The Big Leap, is this concept of I don't want to outshine others. Mm -hmm. So I, I can't I can't be in that sort of thing. Or by being successful, I may be disloyal to a story I have about my family or my upbringing. I've run into that one so many times, especially people that grew up in a kind of a conservative, maybe the Midwest conservative religious uh, background, that they oftentimes feel like if they really expand to the full level of their genius, that'll mean unconsciously that they'll have to leave behind other people that they love and care about. And you can dispel that fear fairly easily if you take a look at it, because uh, the truth of the matter is the more you shine and let your light through, the more it reflects on other people and allows them and inspires them to shine their light. But I know that fear keeps a lot of people tucked in. Another one, uh, Alex, that uh, I write about in The Big Leap is a fear that if I let myself be more successful, that will mean I'm busier and I feel more burdened. And so I hold my, myself back from my full success because I'm afraid it'll bring with it more and more weighty baggage with it. And so that's another one that you have to kind of look the fear straight in the eye and say, wait a minute, I need to learn to work smarter, <laughs> not more, and learn how to steer, what I say, steer the boat from the back of the boat. You don't have to be holding onto the prow up there to steer the boat. You can ease up and do it in a more effortless manner. I So I am uh, the, the child of uh, Irish Catholics. And uh, one of the founding stories in our family is my grandfather at age 19 uh, left Ireland, came to the U.S. on a boat, never saw his mother again, worked for the uh, you know, electricity factory in Springfield, Massachusetts, sometimes had to work on Christmas and all these awkward hours and so on and so forth. And, you know, therefore, you know, things that I've noticed in myself are, well, hey, if I'm, you know, too successful or too far out there, is that going against the grain of that story and more money, more problems and all that mm -hmm. stuff. And And so those really came alive for me when I was reading about them. And you're right that they don't withstand the light of day. If you shine light on them, you know, they typically don't survive, but they're there running in the background for a lot of people. Yes. Well, I have those kind of emblematic ancestors, too, that were often held up as the the paragon of suffering or virtue or virtue and suffering, <laughs> one of those. Two. Uh, but um, I grew up in the deep south. Uh, my grandmother refought the Civil War every day of her life. You know, it was just a living thing for her because she'd grown up right after the Civil War ended and she'd ended up on the wrong side where she'd been a, a wealthy, bound for a plantation life Southern Belle and suddenly, boom, you know, the whole world was pulled out from under them. And so in a way, though, we all have that same problem, no matter how big or how small our suffering has been in the past, we all, as we get up into our 30s and 40s and 50s, we need to keep examining how are my unconscious beliefs holding me back and what are they and how do they apply to me? And in The Big Leap and in the book that follows it, um, which is called The Genius Zone, uh, the kind of the sequel to it, we look at all aspects of that and realize that really 
all the barriers that we carry are carried inside us and that we always have the key to unlock that. And I also wanted to, while I'm on the subject of books, put in a plug for a book that isn't even out yet. I'm very proud of this. It won't be out till February, but it's an extremely deep look at the big leap in the sense that it breaks it down into things that you can do on a daily basis. Uh, it's 366 days because I throw in a big leap. I, I mean, a leap year. Uh, so you have a big leap day on a uh, on a big leap year. And that's uh, coming out in February. Mm -hmm. Middle of February. So uh, you can expect me to be back on your podcast uh, uh, then. Um, but uh, one of the things that our publisher asked us to do was really take a concept a day and take a real deep look at it and give you something you could do that day, just something you could think or something you could write down in one sentence or record in one sentence. So it's got an activity every day. And that um, I think is such a valuable way to integrate it into your daily life. So, uh, and you don't have to start on January 1st either. It's, you can start at any time with day one, day two, day three like that. So it's not laid out on the calendar year. Fantastic. That's going to be a really great resource for people, especially who want to implement it. Because it's one thing to read a book. It's a whole nother thing to implement all the lessons and all the suggestions that are in a book. So that's what we're doing on a day-by-day -day basis. Yes, your big leaf year. Big leap year. Now, um, the zone of genius has got those four categories, zone of incompetence, zone of competence, zone of excellence, zone of genius. Uh, I've got examples in my life of, of what's, of what's where I have a, a, an okay idea of what my zone of genius is or might be, or, or one of them. In fact, my wife was mentioning one the other day. Um, as entrepreneurs, we're, we get stuck in excellence. We get yeah. stuck in the things that we're good at, the things that allow us to build product or sell something or raise money or get the accolades that entrepreneurs get. And a lot of people then don't feel satisfied of where their life is going. They feel like, hey, this is just turning into a grind or it's not giving me life, right? This is no longer life affirming. And it's surprising to me that the things that we're good at, we get paid at, that we get pats on the back for, wind up not being all that fulfilling. And so my question is, what are the ninja moves for people to get from excellence into genius? And how do I make sure that I stay there? Because one of the things that came up for me when I was first introduced to this was, yeah, I get the zone of genius thing, but I still have to do all this other stuff. I still have to do the things that are in my excellence zone. And those can consume a lot of my time if I'm not paying attention. Well, devoting the first 10 minutes to your genius is the hard part. Uh, just working up the courage to say, okay, for the next 10 minutes, I'm going to focus exclusively on my genius. It's like when um, CEOs and other people come here for a, a day of uh, coaching with us where they're the only person we work with. One of the first things we do is we invite them to spend 10 minutes just asking a particular question and not even trying to answer it, just asking the question and then taking three easy breaths and then asking the question again. And the question is, what do I most love to do? And then three easy breaths and then ask it again, either in your mind or out loud. Hmm, what do I most love to do? Uh, and so we always say that your journey to genius is marked by 10 second and 10 minute moves that you have a, oh, this is a moment I could be devoting to my genius. And you sit down and you write for 10 minutes. But I, when I first started, even though I kind of came up with the idea, I realized I'm only spending 10% of my time in my genius zone. So I better get more nimble, a better ninja at doing this. And so I set myself first the task of doing one third of my day on genius activities. So three hours a day. And then once I, that took me a while. It didn't happen overnight. It took me a year or two to get three hours. Then I bumped it up and I, this was back in the 1980s. 
and I set the goal of being at 100% by the end of the century. And I made it. So in other words, for the last, uh, we're in 2023 now, coming up on 2024, and I've had uh, almost 25 straight years now of only doing stuff I love to do and what I believe makes my biggest contribution to the world around me. So it's a very delicious state of consciousness uh, to be in. And even when I was only doing it three hours a day, that was really great, too. It's not like you have to give yourself a hard time if you're not at 100 percent yet. But just keep focusing on bumping it up a little bit every day and spending a little bit more time in your genius zone every day. And eventually, you don't want to be anywhere else. That is so inspiring. And it's such a great goal for all of us to spend as much time as we possibly can in in our in our genius. Uh, when when you talk about that, and getting from 10% to a third to 100%, uh, I know that being in the zone of genius is like, it's like unlocking flow state, right? So it's like being in one of these hey, work doesn't feel like work, or I could do this all day, and it, I could even do this if nobody was paying me, and I would almost pay to do this you know, type of thing. Um, how does that link to one of the concepts that's in the book of Einstein time? So you talk mm. about time shifting in, in, Einstein, in, in that, and, you, and you, use the, you call it Einstein time. How does that relate into the day-to-day -day of sort of using my genius up? Yes, that's a big one, because very practically speaking, how you use your time is one of the biggest variables there is in success. And Einstein time is based on a story that Einstein told. Uh, he was trying to explain the theory of relativity to some, I think they were high school students or junior high students. And he said, uh, it works like this. An hour with your girlfriend or boyfriend goes by like a minute, and a minute sitting on a hot stove goes by like an hour. And I looked at that very carefully from a psychological point of view. And what that really means is if you're resisting the experience you're having, time slows down. In other words, if you're sitting on a hot stove, you're resisting that experience with every cell in your body is trying to get away from the here and now. And that makes time get very sludgy and sticky. However, when with your, you're with your beloved, all of the cells of your body are, ex are expanded toward union with the other person. And in that expanding flow state, time disappears. And so as I began to catch on to that, I realized if we could take charge of time, that would open up a tremendous new field of possibility because, and you'll have to check this out, Alex, just go around in the world and listen to people, what they complain about. A lot of what they're complaining about is time. They'll say, oh, I wish I had time to take a course, you know, or I wish I, oh, geez, I wish I had, I've said, sometimes I'll be at a party and uh, somebody will ask me what I do and I'll, I'll tell them. And a lot of times the reaction I get is not, oh, how great that you've written a book, but they'll go, oh, you know, I've always wanted to write a book. You know, I've just never had time to write a book. How do you find so much time to write a book? You know, and uh, in Einstein time, you don't find time. You make time. You're where time comes from. I'm where time comes from so I can make up exactly enough time, plenty of time to do everything I love to do. So once you make that shift out of being the victim of time to being the source of time, that takes care of a lot of your time problems right there because you just say, wait a minute, I don't want to make the time today to do that thing that I'm not any good at. You know, I think, I can't remember, I think I said this in the big leap, but my big moment of enlightenment, the four zones are zone of incompetence, zone of competence, excellence, and genius. I found myself one day in my zone of incompetence, standing in line at the post office, and there was exactly one clerk, and I was there to to ship this box at Christmas time, and there was about maybe 15 people in line and one clerk, and it was just moving at a glacial pace. And 
I was realizing at the time my consulting coaching fee was a thousand dollars an hour. And I, I said, okay, I'm here for 15 minutes. That means I've burned $250 doing something that I hate to do. Um, and that's not a very smart thing to do, is it? You know, and wow, that was an epiphany for me. I've never stood in line at the post office again. You know, we have it now. We have this uh, <laughs> vast army of assistants who do different things, but one of them's job is to go to do stuff like that. And uh, God bless her. You know, she seems to thrive on it. And, uh, so on. So, um, but I think with a little bit of cleverness, you can eliminate the incompetent zone and the competent zone. The competent zone is tricky because you're good at something, but it's something that somebody else is, could be just as good at with, you know, it's not like your unique thing you're doing. The further up you go, the more addictive it gets though. When you get into the excellence zone, that's pretty addictive because everybody's saying, good boy, Alex. And your wife is saying, oh yeah, you know, let's, uh, let's go to the Bahamas again this Christmas, you know? And, um, so you want to be able to say, yeah, and this time let's take all the family with us, you know? And, uh, so, um, ideally though, what you're doing is focusing your time on what you most love to do and expanding that every day as best you can. I can guarantee that's where the happiest lives come from. Yeah, from working with a whole bunch of executives over the years, we found that the happiest ones are the ones that make that transition out of the excellence zone and spend some time every day in their genius zone. You don't have to rent a canoe and pedal off to Tahiti and live in a cave or anything like that. It's just bringing in a little bit more every day of the things you most love to do. It's so it's so energy giving uh, to to be able to, to to do that, and even to tap into it as a as a source of as a source of of inspiration. You know, for for entrepreneurs, so much of what we love is the act of creating, which is something that you yourself have talked about. Is and that is uh, something that's really energy giving for entrepreneurs. And anything else that you know. So for a lot of for a lot of entrepreneurs, it's that once the company gets bigger and successful, we don't want to do the operations, we don't want to do the day to day stuff, we don't maybe don't, don't even want to manage people, we just want to go create. And so being able to tap into those elements and access the joy that comes of it will really provide a lot more uh, benefits to work. And I think that's that's critical for people to understand. We don't have to be like you're saying, we don't have to be in a cave only doing zone right. of genius stuff. We can live in the world and then find and tap into inspiration. Yeah, because re realistically, nobody's ever going to get to 100%, not even me, because I still have to do little things like eat and sleep and take care of my two cats and uh, sit down every day and have a good conversation with my wife of 44 years. So there's all sorts of other things. And you know, I don't I don't claim to be a genius at cleaning up the kitty litter or anything like that, but it's just uh, something I enjoy doing as a member of the household. And so um, give yourself plenty of slack, but always keep aiming for more and more and more every day, because that's where the juicy life is. What are the what are the top commitments that someone has to make if they're ready to shake off the zone of excellence and, and move into, into genius? Well, I like time commitments because they're very easy to monitor. You know, like I commit to spending an hour today just focusing on my genius. That's a bold maneuver. You know, I I remember walking the halls of a big corporation in the Midwest with the CEO and we were going around just looking at different things. And I was telling I was asking him, how long has it been? Since you've just sat in your office by yourself for 10 uninterrupted moments of free thinking, of creative thinking. And he said, oh, man, if I had time to do that, my life would be so much better. And we made a 180 right there. And I took him back to his office and we just sat there. You know, for that 10 minutes, and the guy looked like a newborn when we finished, you know? I mean, it's amazing how that's what I mean that people can be incredibly brilliant and also have spots in themselves that they can't see or feel or tune into. 
That's why we always say the instructions for how to get out of the box are written on the outside of the box. <laughs> you know, you, you need a little assistance to do that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, well, time commitment is 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 important, and you know, one of the things that I've come across in in my journey of of conscious entrepreneur is uh, the the commitment to self inquiry. Right, we call it the commitment to fearless self inquiry. Like, I'm going to go there, and I'm going to try to unpack what's holding me back, and see what my AI, you know, that's running automatically is, and see what the things are that are not um, surfaced, for example, mm-hmm. and. Those are things that that uh, I, I don't want to confuse your words, but you know, you write in in your books about the spiritual aspects of being an entrepreneur, the spiritual aspects of going through this journey, and spiritual can often be at tremendous odds with people who are hard nosed, serious business people and don't want anything to to do with that. And we're asking them to bridge the two, and even more than bridge the two, we're saying spiritual is actually the foundation for the external success. So you got to get the internal thing right before you, before you get your external uh, fulfillment. Did did I get that right? That's really accurate. And um, I I want to just fluff that out a little bit because, and it it was great that you're intuitively asking the question about where I was going, because we need to get on such a friendly terms with our insides that we can see beyond and feel beyond all the transitory things like emotions. Very important to know when you're sad or when you're angry or when you're scared and be able to communicate that. That's having a high EQ, you know, emotional uh, intelligence. And so that's an important thing. But we all need to kind of go beyond that down inside ourselves and really acknowledge what I call pure consciousness, which is that that part of ourselves that has no programming on it, that it's just the basic building blocks of ourselves that the pure consciousness without anything added to it. And, you know, it's interesting. um, This subject fascinates me because one thing I said in my book, The Corporate Mystic, which came out about, oh, gosh, probably 25 years ago now, um, is it was based on my work with the first 800 CEO and C-suite people that I worked with. And it was that people, business people are a lot more spiritual than they think they are. Because if you, if you don't think of spirituality as not your beliefs about life after death or not your theology up here, it's a certain feeling, a, fe- a certain feeling of connection to yourself, connection to others, connection to the cosmos itself. So to me, that's the province of that pure consciousness inside ourselves, that if you can get beyond your beliefs, you know, like I worked many years ago with uh, in Europe with a group of people from Bosnia who half of them were Christians and half of them were Muslims. And, you know, I remember the first thing that somebody said, this guy stood up and said, well, you know, you're from America, you're from California. One thing you got to know is this problem we're talking about today started in 1389, and we haven't been able to solve it yet. So, Welcome to Bosnia. You know, <laughs> that was his <laughs> welcome to me. And oh man, that's sweaty work because everybody's got their stack of beliefs that they've got. But when it really came down to it, they all look like each other. You know, the only thing that's different is their beliefs. And as people got down through all those layers and realized, oh, we're all just pure consciousness. Ah, trying to connect to each other. It it was really beautiful to see. Now, I don't know, I don't claim any miracles that that had a miracle effect, but you don't have a war going on there anymore. And that's kind of what I was up to, was trying to figure out some way to have uh, peace over in that region of the world. So uh, the thing that I'm trying to get at, though, is that there is a place in ourselves of purity and innocence and consciousness that doesn't have the track marks and the footprints and the heel prints of 
all the life things that we've gone through. And once we can connect with that pure part of ourselves, our chances of connecting with that in others goes up a tremendous amount. Wow. Yes. And uh, I like the way you phrase that, that people are more spiritual than they believe. <laughs> so they don't know what's standing in the way, and then they're willing to open up and, and tap into it. Another yeah, thing... I, go ahead. It, it's your behavior, too, that lets you know you're spiritual. You know, like I remember my colleague, Kate Ludeman, was having lunch um, with a very big third generation company, Motorola. Um, and she was having lunch with Bob Galvin, who was an elder at the time, but he was the son of the founder. Remember the big clunky walkie talkies back in World War II? You know, that's how they got their start. And it gave them an advantage away, in a way because when they started making cell phones, they immediately visualized it as a little thing that you could carry around with you. They weren't so little in the beginning, but uh, they visualized it as something you walk down the street, whereas, um, you know, AT&T visualized you riding along in a little telephone booth called your car. And so they aimed in that direction and gave uh, Motorola quite an advantage at first. Anyway, she was having lunch in the employee dining hall there at Motorola with Bob Galvin, and they were the last two people there. And she hadn't even noticed this, Kate, but all of a sudden Bob said, oh, let's wrap up. We're holding them up. And she looked over in the corner and there were two serving people, you know, like a hundred feet away, you know, that were just waiting and they weren't about to go ask Bob Galvin, <laughs> you know, but he noticed that, you know. And to me, that's as spiritual a thing as sitting down and praying for an hour, because it's an actual living example of the noticing of something that you have to refine your consciousness in order to notice. Mm -hmm. Yes. And when I, when I hear that story, and it's, it speaks of the behavior and someone tapping into that element of themselves, and, and, and also generosity it it makes me uh it makes me think then to uh if we can say that people are more spiritual than they believe they're also more generous than they believe and and you have uh in the big leap you have this tremendous tool called the ultimate success mantra the USM and the USM is not just about me it's about everybody the USM goes i expand in abundance success and love every day as I inspire those around me to do the same. And to me, that's an act of generosity. So I'm not just doing this for myself. I'm doing this and I'm helping everyone to co-elevate at the same time. That's how I interpret that. I really appreciate you seeing that because, see, to me, I've expanded my definition of genius. In the beginning, it was doing what you most love to do. And now I put that second element, doing what you most love to do in a way that inspires other people to do what they most love to do. In other words, I have contribution now built into my own definition of genius that I expand every day in abundance, love, and creativity as I inspire other people to do the same. To me, that's living at its best. Cool. Cool. Uh, I, I love that. Uh, I love that addition. Now, Gay, we, we connected earlier this year because we were uh, going to have you come out to the Conscious Entrepreneur Summit in, in June in Boulder. Uh, and everything looked like it was going swimmingly until, until your accident by the pool and uh, pins in your leg and so on, which meant that you were, you were not able to, to join us. But we recovered in what I think is going to be a really fun and exciting way. And you're coming out to Boulder on November 8th, and we're doing a half-day Zone of Genius workshop for entrepreneurs. And this is going to be, I think, a really exciting opportunity, very different than you, know, you being a speaker at an event. This is going to be something that really allows us to go deep into a topic. What can people expect from that session? Well, I'm really looking forward to that because it'll be my first foray over to Boulder since I, I hurt my leg. Um, 
Yes, I'm I'm the bionic boy now. I've got six bolts, a metal rod, and a metal plate in my on my right femur femur, and um, so I really did a number on it. But fortunately, I'm rehabbing well, and although I may still be hauling a cane around with me in November, we'll see. Um, what people can expect is a deep immersion, a deep inquiry into your genius and to everybody that's there, I'll share some of my own um, stories. But what it's about really is you uncovering your genius more and clearing out more space for you to occupy your genius. So it's an easeful excursion through your upper limit problems down to that place I'm talking about of pure consciousness from where you can really manifest tremendous things in your life because you're not manifesting them through the filter of your old limitations. You're just purely broadcasting to the universe what you most want and need. And once you learn how to do that, you have a skill for life. And a half-day immersion in that is really um, a great thing. I've seen so many people come out of that with aiming for miracles and doing things that they never imagined doing before. So uh, there'll be lots of breakthroughs and you'll be lots of uh, lots of laughs, too, because um, I've got a funny story for every concept I tell. And so uh, I'll be... Uh, sharing lots of uh, wisdom through humor also. You know, I think it's such a nice opportunity to come together in person. Uh, you know, we, everyone's, we've all done, we've all done Zoom and hybrid and so on. But, you know, just the fact that we're going to, we're in this beautiful space in Chautauqua at the, at the uh, Chautauqua Community House. So it's the one with the balcony and the fireplace in the back and so on. Uh, and, and it fits about 75 people. So it's going to be just one of these nice, intimate opportunities to gather together mm. and to all go through this and say, hey, we're committed to working on ourselves. We're committed to being the best versions of ourselves. Let's see what we can get done in a, in a half day. And, and I do expect breakthroughs, like you're saying. I'm really looking forward to it, too. I haven't been in Chautauqua in quite some time, but I've had wonderful times there. And so I'm um, so looking forward to coming back. Plus, I have so many friends there in Boulder, too, that I get to see, many of which I'm sure will be dropping in for that afternoon or morning or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's an afternoon, one thirty to, okay. to 5.30. Um, okay. When you look back at your work, you've written 40, you've written 40 books, uh, some, some on your own, some, some with your wife, which are the ones that, what's the book that you're, you're proudest of and which is the book that you think didn't get the reception it deserved? I have two, actually. One is my book, Five Wishes. It came out at a time when it was, it was on the bestseller list, list briefly, but, um, it uh, there was a bunch of things that happened at the same time, and so uh, I encourage everybody to read Five Wishes because that's definitely from my heart to your heart, and uh, tells of a specific incident that I think can be very valuable. It's how answering one simple question can open up your life in a beautiful way, and so it's a small book, and you can probably read it in one flight from Boulder to California. Great. The other one is the the other one is the ten second miracle. The ten second miracle is full of five or six different things that you can do that produce results within ten seconds. And so everybody needs one of those in their back pocket, kind of a life manual for how to get through difficult situations. And so the ten second miracle is also uh, it's uh, we've brought it back. Uh, and publish it through our own institute now. So I encourage you to get that. It's very, uh, very enlightening. Oh, cool. Great. I've, I've not heard that one. I have read The Five Wishes several years ago. I've not read The Ten Second Miracle. And, you know, we all need this when the stuff hits the fan and we find ourselves uh, <laughs> uh, going below the line, as they say. Uh, those, I'm sure those things can be can be helpful. Yes, and that's why one of the reasons we... Uh, we wanted to write. Uh, I wanted to write the new book. Uh, your uh, big leap year is so people could have something they could do every day. One 
one page a day, just one practical thing after another. And um, it's the book I would want if I hadn't already written it. And so uh, it, it'll keep you on focus for a whole year, starting whatever you want. That's going to be a tremendous, that's going to be a tremendous resource. Well, Gay Hendricks, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you here. As we uh, start to wrap up, I just got a couple of sort of ending questions that I'm curious to get your thoughts on. Uh, first is, you know, the, 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 um, ugh, let me rephrase that. You know, that the theme of this con of this podcast is the conscious entrepreneur. I'm curious if you have thoughts on what that means to you, or if you have a definition of what a conscious entrepreneur is. Yes. A conscious entre entrepreneur is one who goes about the execution of his or her vision also with a complete openness to learning and a complete openness to have the whole enterprise increase your genius, increase your ability to live in the flow, increase your ability to have things manifest by mere intention, effortlessly. All those things become possible in the life of a conscious entrepreneur once you get out of your own way and get out from underneath your limiting beliefs about how things have to be. And the only beliefs you have to focus on are the ones you don't know about that are running your life. <laughs> That's always been my experience is, oh, I didn't realize that was running my life. You know, that's a good awareness to have. The things that are below the surface. Yes. Uh, yes, indeed. Now, what are the what are the things that you do in your daily life, weekly life uh, that help keep you in your genius? What do you do to help to help you with a spiritual orientation or to uncover things uh, that you may not have been previously aware of? What are your practices like? Mm. Well, I meditate every day. I meditate for uh, 15 or 20 minutes in the morning and 15 or 20 minutes in the afternoon. I'm an old-time TMer. I've been doing that since yeah. I was in graduate school, in fact. I haven't missed a day hardly in 20 or no, gosh, more like 50 years now. I learned when I was uh, learned to meditate when I was a graduate student at Stanford in the PhD program and it was so incredibly hard and <laughs> tough and demanding that when I learned to meditate it was like dropping into paradise twice a day, you know, and it, it gets very, you know, it becomes very useful in your life to have a place you can go to a couple of times ago uh, a day where things really clear up and it becomes serene and easy. And then it also having that experience leads to more serenity in your outer life too. So originally I think I learned to meditate just to keep my sanity, <laughs> but for the last 50 years, I've continued to do it because I value the amount of space and serenity and ease it gives me in my life. So that's one of my big practices. Um, I wrote, I wrote a book called learning to love yourself many years ago. It was the first book I wrote after I met my wife of now 44 years, Katie. So that'll tell you how long the book has uh, been out. But, um, it's all about how to learn to love the things that you may in the past have censored yourself for. You know, like learning to love your anger and your sadness and your fear and your loneliness, learning to love those rather than kind of beating up on yourselves for having them. And that's a key part that everybody needs to learn to do in life is to learn to greet themselves, greet their inner world with a hug rather than a frown. I think we could easily do a half-day session just on that <laughs> topic. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> uh, well, well those, those, are, those are tremendous. And, and besides your work, is there anything else that you recommend someone who's on the conscious entrepreneur journey check out? Where do you go for inspiration? Well, I really recommend really getting more into the natural organic wisdom of your own body. You know, your own body has that pure consciousness built into it. But you might not discover that until after you get a massage. A person can, you know, move things around and give you a little breathing room in there. Well, anything you can do to enliven your experience of your body 
You know, there's massage, there's myofascial release, there's rolfing, there's Feldenkrais work, there's yoga, there's all these things. I do all those things. Well, I'm not doing yoga at present, but I just did a Feldenkrais session this morning with a teacher here in town, came over. And so it's all about enlivening my experience of my body. And I've been doing that now for more than 50 years, just as a regular basis. And boy, every time I do something good that opens up more space in my body, whether it's through exercise or massage or whatever it is, it seems to open up more creative space in my mind too. And so we we say, you know, your body is where your mind lives. (laughs) It's not the other way around. the actual thinking part of the mind, the logical part of the mind, the part that comes up with language and everything, because, you know, it's a tiny little place in your brain. If a brick falls on it, you lose your language ability. And yet your body and your emotional parts of yourself are vast in comparison to those logical thinking parts. So we need to get ourselves in harmony with our spirit, our body, and our minds in order to make best use of ourselves. It's like getting a radio aligned. When you get it tuned in, you get the frequencies from way out in outer space as well as what's in this moment. Tremendous, tremendous. Uh, I I love hearing that. And thank you for the reminder to look after our physical housing as well as our spiritual and our our mental housing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gay Hendricks, your work has touched millions of people and it has helped thousands of entrepreneurs. And I thank you so much for the contribution that you're making to make work better, to make our lives better, to make our communities better. And I think it's just such a tremendous asset to have you in our camp, so to speak, meaning as someone who is leading the way with this. And I really can't wait for this session in, uh, November in Boulder and really looking forward to seeing you there. We'll have all the details up on the website at consciousentrepreneur.us. Tremendously thankful for your time today and look forward to seeing you in November. Thanks for joining us on The Conscious Entrepreneur. Thanks a lot, Alex. Great being with you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Conscious Entrepreneur. If you're ready to go deeper into working on yourself, check out the upcoming events, articles, and resources on our website, which is consciousentrepreneur.us. I'd also really like to thank the team at Hivecast for producing this episode. If you run a podcast and are looking for an awesome full-service production company, make sure to check out Hivecast.